Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on arseblog.com. I hope you're well. It's been an interesting week, has it not, since last we spoke. Lots has gone on. Arsenal beat Queen's Park Rangers 1-0 in a fairly tight circumstances. Chelsea and Spurs have dropped points, meaning the Champions League qualification is back in our hands. This is a good thing. Uh, there's been big news about who's going to manufacture our kit and pay us lots of money to do that. Alex Ferguson has retired. Who saw that coming? Blimey. Out of the blue a little bit, it has to be said. And as well as that, Gareth Bale has tried to trademark a hand signal, which uh, footballers and sports people have been doing for ages and ages and ages, and he wants to trademark it for himself. And not only that, he is launching his very own ringtone, like the crazy frog. Remember that? It's true. Here it is. Okay, okay, cheap gag, I know. But look, if someone wants to trademark the idea of making a, a, a heart with your fingers when you score, come on. Make so, do something different. Like if you were to make your hand into a fist and then put one finger like that, one around like that, and then do the other one, and then it's all like, uh, oh, crap. Yeah, well, if you're going to do that, then fine. But not a heart shape with your fingers, because players have been doing that all the time. It'd be like somebody, you know, doing the Rockabye Baby celebration and trying to trademark that. What a fucking big-eared cunt he is. I don't know who's advising him or who told him he might be able to get, but surely not. Surely not. Anyway, he's incidental. Uh, to this week's discussion. As I said, lots has gone on. Uh, Queen's Park Rangers. Well, what a game that was. Score after 20 seconds, you think, wow, well, this is going to be all right, isn't it? We're going to cruise to victory here. And then it's 89 minutes and 40 seconds plus injury time of just, oh, crap, it's going to go wrong at any second. It's going to go wrong. And it's not that Queen's Park Rangers were particularly good because, you know, they're shit. The, the league table tells us their shit. Their manager, in fact, tells us their shit on quite a regular basis. He tells the players their shit in public. So, you know, their shit. We shouldn't be under any illusions about that. They weren't particularly good on the day, but then you just have those uh, moments, don't you? Those uh, nerve-wracking moments where there's a corner or where just anything could happen. A shot could deflect off somebody's knee or arse. Or, you know, we saw how quickly a game can change the, uh, the other week against West Brom when we're 2-0 up, we're cruising, not in any danger at all. Permuter Sacker gets sent off. They get a penalty. And all of a sudden, we were under huge pressure. There were shots coming in left, right, and center. And, you know, thankfully, they missed them all. But that's how quickly things can change. And, uh, you know, th this is Arsenal. We have grown accustomed to the self-destruct button. Now, it hasn't been present in recent weeks, and that's a good thing, a very good thing. But I think we need to go another few weeks without it to be a little more confident that we won't uh, seek it out and push it at the very late stages of a game to fuck ourselves up. But we didn't, uh, which was a very good thing because Spurs got a late goal and uh, I think Chelsea won. I can't remember but th that far back. That was last weekend. It's all about this week. I, you know, it's all a blur before this week. Uh, and midweek, of course, Chelsea and Spurs played out a 2-2 draw which is an excellent result for us. I mean, it could have been better if Chelsea had won. Nevertheless, I'll take it because it means uh, we're in control of our own destiny. Win our two games and, and we're into the qualification rounds of the Champions League, at least. So from a footballing point of view, you know, there hasn't been a great deal to talk about. But then, of course, there was the news about Puma. And Puma are going to make our kit from 2014. And this is, this is excellent because they're going to pay us an extra £30 million a season. And there's bonuses. And there might well be an upfront signing on fee going on with that, which could be available to the manager to spend this summer. Yes, yes, of course. We, you know, make the obvious joke about manager and spending. But look, uh, it, it's good news. Uh, but, it, but interesting, you know, the reaction to it 
uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, and, and all that kind of stuff. And some of the reaction I just found bizarre. You know, uh, there was one guy on Twitter saying that big players won't sign for Arsenal because we play or will play in, in a Puma kit. They don't want to be seen in it. They want to be in Nike or Adidas, which seems rather strange to me. Um, do they really care? Really? Players, are they that fashion conscious? I know they all have the haircuts and the stuff and the, you know, the eyebrow waxing and all that kind of crack, but I don't think they really care. That's not really uh, a determining factor when a guy is going to sign for a club. Is it, yeah, you're going to pay me this much. I'm going to get this much per goal. I'm going to get these bonuses. Oh, no, I'm not going to sign for you because, well, I'm, I'm just not a fan of Puma shirts. No, I don't think I don't think that's really going to happen. Um, there was uh, somebody on Facebook, for example, who, who said that a little piece of his love of Arsenal had died because Arsenal is Nike. And I hope you'll forgive me for, you know, uh, talking about this on the podcast, but Arsenal is not Nike. Arsenal have certainly had a, a long association with Nike, but Arsenal is not Nike, and Nike is certainly not Arsenal. I get that some people are, you know, have this brand loyalty stuff that goes on, but you know, as I said in the blog, if if your happiness is tied in with a with a leisure wear brand, no, you know, do something else, find some perspective, because you know you're, you're going to get miserable about the the worst kind of things. Um, there was a very interesting exchange on Ars Blog News. Uh, a chap called He said Puma used to be Spurs kid sponsors. Puma has a cheetah as its logo. Spurs logo has a chicken there. That fucking cheetah ate that chicken. That's what. Ha 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 ha. Cunts. To which Dunlop replied, Puma has a Puma as its logo, which I thought was quite good. The other thing about Puma kits as well, that might be an advantage, is that they are quite skin tight. People who have played in Puma kit or who have worn Puma Kid, we will know that, you know, they're sort of tight-fitting. So that might prevent certain body types from from putting on a, a kit, which isn't a bad thing. Does anyone really need to see the the, the bellies of, of men like that? No, no. Maybe I'm getting too hung up on the aesthetics of it all here. But look, the bottom line is I couldn't give a shit who makes the kit so long as they pay us the right amount of money doesn't matter if it's Nike or Adidas or Warrior or Puma or Primark. Probably not Primark this moment in time. But you know what I mean. It's not really about who makes the kit. And I'm sure it'll be red and it'll have some white. And, you know, the, some of the stuff that Nike have done over the past few years has been, frankly, uh, abominable. So, you know, without wishing to tempt fate in any way, it can't be much worse than that, can it? I don't think so. And then, of course, Alex Ferguson retired. That was... Uh, Bit of a bolt from the blue. One day he was there, the next he was gone. You know, and as I said on the blog, you can absolutely and utterly respect his achievements as a manager, which are uh, pretty much second to none in terms of the success he's had, the trophies he's won, and still think he was a fucking big red-nosed cunt. And maybe there's more kindness towards him there because he stopped reminding us that he's a big fucking red-nosed cunt because, you know, we haven't been much of a threat. And when we're not much of a threat, he doesn't really care about you. When he cares about you, he winds you up and annoys you. And in the uh, the first years or the first half of Arsene Wenger's reign, when it was just us and United competing for the title, that rivalry was, was pretty incredible and intense. And that's where all this hatred and stuff comes from. And, you know, aside from, from all that, he was a, just a, a bit of a, a bully, you know, and a, a boor and a hypocrite. And that's not to say other managers aren't guilty of those kind of things. They are. 
star, of course, you know, a manager will uh, act in his own self-interest and the self-interest of his club will say one thing one week, another thing the other, and it's all just part and parcel of the game. But, you know, Ferguson, I guess, because of his uh, longevity and larger-than-lifeness, uh, well, he seemed to epitomize all the very uh, worst of those characteristics, you know, when he let them show. So no question at all about the fact he was an absolutely brilliant manager. I'm glad to see him gone. Uh, because it might make things a little bit easier for Arsenal, uh, maybe, who knows. Uh, but also, I, I just didn't like him. And I'm not joining in the gushing praise and saying, oh, what a great man he was. Um, so, fuck that. It'll make uh, next season interesting anyway, that's for sure. David Moyes taking over there, and I'm not sure whether that's the uh, the right appointment or not, especially when Jose Mourinho... I would have been much more worried if Jose Mourinho had taken over at Manchester United, I have to say. Whether Moyes can make the step up remains to be seen. He'll be operating under the watchful eye, won't he, of, of uh, Alex Ferguson, who's going upstairs. He'll be a director and an ambassador for the club and all that kind of stuff. And, and the spectre will loom over him, the expectation, the pressure. And uh, I guess it's a big challenge for him, but you know we'll wait and see. Um, but I think it might just make Arsenal's life a little bit easier. Anyway, now before we chat to this week's guest, it's time for a newsflash. Arsenal Football Club today announced a multi-million pound per season deal with Joe's Printers. The London-based firm will print and sponsor Arsenal season ticket renewal forms. Chairman Peter Hillwood said... We are doing this exclusively to confuse the people who say we only talk about making money at season ticket renewal time. CEO Ivan Gazeta smiled a knowing smile like a hair on a stair that wasn't there. Right then, time to talk to this week's guest about all the bits and pieces that have gone on. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show from the Mirror, John Cross. Hi, John. Hello, very good afternoon, Chief. Let's start with the the big news of the week, and I'm not talking about the chap from Manchester. We'll come to him in a moment. But um, you had the story the other night about Arsenal's new kit deal uh, with Puma, and and obviously there's been a long association with Nike. There's been uh, rumours of an association with Adidas. So so Puma's kind of come out of out of left field a little bit. But um, some of the information that was going around, or that that, that I had heard, was that you know. The, the deal that was going to be done was going to be massive. And as it turns out, that's absolutely right. Yeah, no, I think it's a fantastic deal, um, all accounts. I mean, kind of, you know, made lots and lots of calls, um, sort of first hear about, heard about it sort of the weekend, and they made lots and sort of calls on it subsequently. And kind of when sort of got the inkling of, of the figures involved, um, kind of really blew people away I think really um, it's interesting because I think the kind of the warrior deal with Liverpool set a new standard uh, for about 20-25 million a year I think Warrior was very interested in Arsenal as well. I've even heard a suggestion they might have been willing to pay a little bit more, but um, I think Arsenal, sort of, while they decided obviously to go their own way from Nike, and Nike sort of kind of decided to go their own way as well, I think, because once the figures started uh, really sort of mounting up, then I think Nike had to make a kind of a policy decision, um, as did Adidas a few weeks ago. Um, I think Arsenal have got a great deal with Puma because I still think Puma's a, 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 you know, good global brand of renown and it's been around for a long time um, I think it's uh, it's interesting isn't it they've got sort of good avenues into the African market I hear that's quite sort of significant yeah. um, and I, I, listen, I think Arsenal have done a, done a really cracking deal um, it's definitely the biggest in, in the English market at the moment I think obviously it'll probably be usurp when, when uh, well I'm sure it'll be usurp when Manchester United renegotiate but in terms of for Arsenal I think it's now a standing deal um, and it's certainly 
strengthens their hand, um, you know, in the next coming years to get also with the Emirates sponsorship deal. Mm. That's what I was going to ask you about, because obviously there's no doubt, let's say, that Arsenal haven't used necessarily all the resources available to them in the transfer market over the last number of seasons. Uh, I don't think anyone would really dispute that, but perhaps there was a touch of conservatism uh, on behalf of the club because, you know, Champions League qualification isn't necessarily assured. And uh, even though we're told the club budgets for that um, in certain ways to miss out on the revenue that that would bring in, both in terms of tickets and TV and all that kind of stuff, you know, what would have a significant impact on the club, especially after the, uh, the, uh, the move to the stadium. This, however, we were told 20, 14 is the the time when the purse strings would be able to be loosened because these new deals uh, can be renegotiated. It, it does move the club into a different level in terms of what they can spend, but also uh, as well as that in what they can afford to to pay in wages because we know that that's also been an issue with certain players uh, and why they've decided to leave the club over the last number of years. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think this summer could be really interesting. I mean, I know that sort of deals don't kick in for a while yet, but yeah, with, with lots of deals, that you, you do see uh, when agreements are reached um, and contracts are in place, and then there's sort of license for kind of upfront money, um, and, and you, you know you can move swiftly on from there. I think also, I tell you what is, is also really interesting, and I was sort of t- trying to tally up who would go on free transfers this summer and who would be allowed to leave. And I think when you sort of tot up the kind of you know, squillaches and sort of, you know, will they get rid of Juru, for example, and um, Shamak, for example. Ah, Danielson, you mm. know, it's just, it's incredible. And I was just kind of working out sort of the other day, sort of rough figures. And I think you could say, safely say that the club would be able to save about £350,000 a week mm. if, if admittedly all those deals kind of, you know, get done, get shipped out. But I think if you think back to January, they were really quite aggressive in trying to move players on. And I still think that that will be a kind of a uh, standpoint, really, in trying to move those players away. Because it frees you up. And when when we talk about £70 million and the money to spend, I do think at this stage in time, that, that has to be linked also to kind of a level of, of contracts. But I think if you're freeing up an awful lot of dead wood, awful lot of bad buys really let's be honest um, if you're moving them on then it suddenly gives you a whole new opportunity with the increased revenue um, with the kind of guarantees that Arsenal have got financially in the future when, when you know sort of the deals kick in you've still got that guarantee that the club is going to be secure I think the outlook is extremely bright and exciting I think it's really something that you know should be proud of I mean I, I think that Ivan Gazidis and Tom Fox really, you know, let's be honest, they sort of battered from Villa to post over sometimes over the money and financial aspect. But for me, I think first and foremost, those guys are in place to kind of bring in the best commercial deals. They leave it up to someone else to do something on the pitch, um, but they're expected to do the deals to give the, the, the manager um, the best opportunity for success on the pitch. And I think I really, you know, passionately believe they've delivered good deals um, on, on this level. But I do think it's always the challenge, isn't it, getting the manager to kind of spend the money? Well, yeah, this, is the, <laughs> this is the next question because, you know, um, we spoke about the reluctance perhaps to, to use what's available to him and maybe that's Arsene being, you know, super cautious and, you know, mm-hmm. with, his, with his economics hat on. But now come this summer, 
not only because of all the pressure that there is anyway, because people want a team that can, if not, I don't mean uh, uh, they, they have to win the title, but they have to compete for the title. At the very least, you know, Arsenal fans want to see a team that will compete for the title right until, you know, the final weeks of the season and, you know, case harass around those circumstances. You know, so, um, so there is that pressure anyway, but this surely then allows him to look at a different calibre of player in the transfer market this summer, both in terms of what they can offer the player themselves in wages, but also what they can spend on the player. And you look at, for example, somebody like Santi Cazorla, who is a, mm. an absolutely outstanding player, but you get the sense that if he wasn't at Malaga, you know, that would, he would have been a player that, that's too expensive for Arsenal because, you know, their, their financial circumstances, you know, were something that, that Arsenal took advantage of. So with that bit of pressure and with also the cushion of knowing that, you know, he's got this extra revenue coming in, we should see some kind of a change in policy from Arsene Wenger this summer. I agree with you. I do think that um, to, to get the team back to, to competitiveness, I think that they need um, a really busy summer, an active summer. Um, and I think to, to do that, to make that work, I, I genuinely feel that Arsenal are not that far away. I know my son like Arsene Wenger there. But when I say that, that kind of, I, I genuinely think that three or four players could get our, throughout the squad could get Arsenal back in a position where, in say, you know, 2008, for example, a kind of uh, you know, a couple of years later, when they were really competitive in the league, um, and then sort of kind of pushing on. Um, I think they need a keeper. I think they need a centre half. Um, I think they need a really top quality holding midfield player and a, and a really top class forward. Um, I think this money gives them the opportunity to go and do that and really sort of kind of push the squad on. Um, I, I just don't feel that they're that far away. Having said that, I think those deals have to be right. You've got to kind of stop looking at the bargain sort of kind of compromise deals and get the sort of the kind of stellar names in. Mm. Um, I, I guess we could talk all day as to whether people will see, just for example, Stefan Jovetic at Fiorentina as, as a sort of a stellar name, as a real big signing. Um, yeah, I, I think that Arsene Wenger would see him as kind of a real statement of intent. I don't know whether that would kind of make a huge big impact it's it's an interesting one isn't it and I think that kind of uh, for me that the, probably the key position that I'd like to see him fill is that holding midfield player because I think Arteta has done really well but I would call him a sort of a, a classic number eight if you like he's not that holding player but I think he can still do an outstanding job in that midfield and strengthen that that, that kind of midfield still further but it would be great to see him really get a fantastic player um, of, of a great quality and that's for the goalkeepers for example maybe this sort of illustrates the point that I know that there's really strong interest in kind of Asmir Begovic but I think if Stoke want £14 million uh, there's no doubt about it Arsenal have suddenly started looking a lot more at Rene Adler for example why? Because I do think he's slightly better value and that will always be the club's outlook for me um, and uh, I, I think that kind of as long as you are getting a player who is first and foremost going to add something to the team rather than because he's a bit cheaper, which I do think that over the last few seasons Wenger has been guilty of. Um, then I do think that suddenly um, you, you will see a team that's competitive again. 
And just my little, another sort of pet theory is that I think Wenger will, will go for it this summer really different. I know it probably bore people senseless to say this each and every year, but it's kind of the reason why I think there's no doubt about it. It's a key season for Arsene Wenger. I, I mean, he hinted last week heavily that he would like to stay. Um, and I think to stay, to appease the fans, to keep all the fans on side, he knows he needs a big season. And I think to get that, he's not stupid enough to think that this team or squad as it is is strong enough to get him back to where he wants to be. Mm. I mean, you only have to look at the league table and the you know the gap between Arsenal and Manchester United mm-hmm. to see that you know the squad ha- has its shortcomings. And obviously, you know, the, there's a lot of football. Well, I won't say a lot, but there's two very very important games uh, left this season. And it's good now because it's in Arsenal's own hands. The the draw between Chelsea and Tottenham the other night makes it very simple for Arsenal win the last two games and they'll finish top four at the very least. They'll have a, a qualification game. Uh, for the for the Champions League, I guess that kind of clarity is a help at this point in the season. I don't suppose there would be any other target, you know, for this Arsenal team. But you know, it would be an awful stress, uh, and I guess increase the pressure that's on them uh, if they were playing games and reliant at the same time on on Spurs slipping up or, or, or Chelsea slipping up. Because you look at some of the performances, and particularly, you know, the game against. Um, Queen's Park Rangers last weekend where Arsenal started brilliantly, scored a goal in 20 seconds and you thought that might free them and let them play with a, you know, um, a bit of a carefree uh, attitude and, you know, but, you know, they, they look like a really nervous team at the moment. Um, so, uh, you know, in, in looking ahead to the Wigan game in particular, they've got the cup final and, you know, they could come into that on a high or uh, utterly dejected. From an Arsenal point of view, you know, I guess it makes it very easy then to say, well, look, this is what we need to do. Just concentrate on that for the final two games of the season. Yeah, I think it's really important that you focus on yourself and, and sort of not worry about others. Um, I've been trying to look at so many sort of different equations and how it would work out. And the last two games do worry me. Um, there's a scenario where we can could have lost the FA Cup final um, and be um, on a real low because of that. But also, I think if you look at it, if Newcastle win at QPR on Sunday, which is going I'm going to, um, I, I, I think that, that that puts Wigan in real trouble. And, you know, potentially they could go to the Emirates thinking we've lost the cup final and we're effectively relegated. And that puts them in a totally different state of mind as to when they came to the Emirates last season and towards the tail end. And then absolutely shocked Arsenal in, in getting an amazing result, an amazing victory when they played fabulous stuff, fabulous football. Um, and they were really, really impressive. Um, I don't... I think that it's going to be extremely difficult um, for, for Wigan to approach a game if they're completely um, sort of dead on their feet and, and sort of out of it. Um, and I think that could be a huge advantage um, for Arsenal. But the, again, the final day of the season at Newcastle, wow, you know, if Newcastle needs something from that game, that, that's the issue for me. But then, then you look at sort of Chelsea, they've got to go to Villa. And then they've got the Europa League hanging. I saw them last night at sort of at um, Spurs. They looked dead on their feet. Um, so how much will they have left in the tank? I, 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 there's so many different scenarios. Spurs, they've got to go to Stoke on Sunday, celebrating 150th 
anniversary there. So will they try and put on a show? You, you sort of weigh it all up in, in your mind and, you know... It's, and we're still none the wiser or clearer. Well, it's still none the wiser, which kind of brings you back to the original point. You've got to get your own job done. I do, however, feel what worries me is that Arsenal's games, looking at them, have got the potential to be harder because of the very nature of the teams that they're playing. Um, and so they could be, you know, harder obstacles, they could be easier obstacles. But it does does worry me. And as you rightly say, Arsenal, despite the results, despite the form guide, anyone that's actually watched those games will tell you that, that they've not been playing at their best and they do look a bit nervous, they do look a bit edgy. Um, and, and I think that the pressure is, is getting to them. And that's kind of almost exactly what you don't want, you know. I mean, Spurs were quite impressive at Chelsea, I thought, in the second half, because I thought when Chelsea made it 2-1, I thought, well, here we go, it'll be 3-1. But in reality, you know, was that a good result, you know, 2-2? Or would it have been better for Chelsea to have won? It's really difficult to say. But I do think that if Spurs had lost, the luxury would have given Arsenal would be that they only needed a win and a draw from their last two games. It's, I think uh, now, suddenly... You know, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, one of the other things that this uh, stage of the season brings up for Arsenal fans is that you're looking at a game against Chelsea and you're wanting Chelsea to win and then you're you're wanting Stoke to win and it's all a bit sickening <laughs> in the stomach. So. Well, you've got, you've got to bring back your old enemies and sort of wish them the best, haven't yeah, you? I yeah. did see sort of, you know, people tweeting like sort of on Wednesday night, sort of blue is the colour, you know, oh, I just oh, sort no. of love that. And can you imagine all those sort of, the, the, all the hatred for Tony Pulis? He's going to be one a man on, on Sunday. You know, <laughs> wishing him all the best. So it is, inc- it is incredible how things sort of turn around. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, look, that's making me ill even thinking about that. So um, <laughs> we'll move on very quickly, very quickly. I just want to, you know, obviously touch on, on Alex Ferguson. And, um, you know, when Arsene Wenger first came to, to English football, uh, you, you know, he sort of got up got on his back straight away and, and uh, Alex Ferguson was like, what does this guy know coming here from Japan talking about our football but you know the rivalry that those two men had you know in the in the first uh, the first half or you know the first two thirds of Arsene Wenger's Arsenal career was absolutely outstanding you know the, 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 the two biggest teams in England the two best teams in England the football was brilliant the physicality of the games was brilliant I guess that's something that we've you know missed as Arsenal fans down through the last couple of years things have gone quite differently you know Arsenal had to take a more conservative approach with the stadium and that that clearly had an impact on on how competitive Arsene Wenger's teams were regardless of how you view the decisions he made um, it, it really was one of the great rivalries though between those two managers yeah it, it was it was um, it was really intense wasn't it for a while I mean they did have so many spectacular fallouts you know sort of back of the buffet um, I mean I always understand it because I understand it this sort of kind of the, the, the comment that really pushed the, the rivalry into into the kind of you know over the edge, if you like, was Wenger's very light-hearted and unintentional remark about so, saying that everyone thinks they've got the prettiest wife at home. <laughs> For whatever reason, Stranis Ferguson took that extremely badly and thought that that was a real dig at his wife from from Arsene Wenger. And that kind of you know it, it was at a time when the kind of the rivalry was at its strongest. Arsenal United going neck and neck. And while I don't think, you know, Arsene Wenger is, is one for sharing a sort of a bottle of wine in the manager's office post-match, they, they now have a very respectful, convivial, sort of friendly relationship. 
Um, you know, I've been in sort of situations where Arsenal Wenger's paid glowing tributes to Sir Ferguson. I'm sure we'll sort of kind of see that again. And uh, it, it, there's there's admiration, but to me, it also strikes a little bit of being patronising towards Wenger in a way because that rivalry has been removed. Wenger, you know, Wenger, mm. Ferguson is notorious for softening his stance when he no longer sees you as a threat. And that'll be the worst insult, I think, that Wenger could possibly have. You know, I just think that he that they've moved on to respect and friendship level, um, which, which I'm sure that Wenger really, in his heart of hearts, <laughs> would rather be kind of going sort of neck and neck True. with Ferguson for trophies. But I do actually think it's fantastic, for, in a way, for the Premier League, because it opens it up. I think that Wenger will go for it next year. I think Arsenal will be more competitive. I think Man City will they change their manager. I think Chelsea bringing back Jose. Um, will Mourinho be effective? Um, and, and then sort of David Moyes, the challenge at Manchester United. I think it could be a fantastic season. All right. Well, look, we'll, uh, we'll chat about that closer to next season. Let's hope the rest of this one turns out well. John Cross, thank you very much. Pleasure. You can find John, of course, in the Daily Mirror or on Twitter at John Cross Mirror. So give him a follow. That's at John Cross Mirror. Before we kick on with the final part of the show, it's time for this guy. Hello, I am Arshavin and oh, don't have very good week this week. It is uh, Arsenal ball, charity ball. You know where we uh, put on suit and have the dinner. And there is uh, entertainment like uh, comedian. This year they have a short uh, bald man. I don't know name. I think is uh, Stuart Robson, something like this. But also there is uh, singing and dancing and piñata and, and these things, you know. But this year also they have auction where women can uh, make, uh, how do you say, a uh, bid on men. It's a very uh, sexy thing. And uh, Arsenal players are involved. Arteta, he got first with, uh, you know, hair. And uh, men say, we start at 1,000, hand go up 5,000, hand go up 10,000, hand go up 20,000. £42,000 for Arteta. Later, Giroud go up. Men say, we start at 10000 Hand go up 20 Hand go up. Blah, hand go up. In end, is like in decent proposal. £1 million for a night with Giroud. Then is turn of our shaving. I have grown moustache. Uh, special for the occasion. I am like St. Petersburg Tom Selleck. I am standing waiting. Men say, we start bid at five pounds. Nothing. Nobody bid for our shaving. Nobody put hand up. I am standing. Heart is breaking. Nobody want me. And then I hear voice from back of room. I recognize voice. And men say, sold for five pounds. Two 1970s funk disco drag queen. Sylvester. <laughs> I don't like to funk. Not like that. Not like that. Poor old R. Chavonet. We might hear from him before the end of the season now. Um, we don't play, of course, until Tuesday, which is because Wigan are involved in the FA Cup final against Manchester City 
kicking off at stupid o'clock on Saturday instead of a normal time, like a normal FA Cup final. But anyway, uh, all I can say in that regard is, come on, Wigan. I'd really like them to win the FA Cup final. Um, Manchester City, of course, being Manchester City, the big books club. They've got, you know, some nasty people on their books. And uh, frankly, I'd like to see Wigan do it. I'm always kind of up for the underdog in uh, circumstances like these. But then come Tuesday, obviously, I want us to kick the shit out of them and relegate them. The situation, as we know, is really very simple. From an Arsenal point of view, win our two games and we are in fourth place at least. There are no end of permutations, though, depending on what Chelsea do and what Spurs do. I don't hold out any hope whatsoever that Stoke will get anything from uh, Spurs this weekend. They're safe and they're shit and they won't care. And basically, I expect Tottenham to turn them over quite easily. Absolutely no problem whatsoever. I just don't see any circumstances in which Spurs can lose that game. To me, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible. Even if I had all the money in the world, I'd put it all on, on Spurs winning that game because they just cannot lose or drop points. Not Just not a hope. So it all depends on us and what we do. And obviously that starts on Tuesday. We've got to then beat Wigan. If we beat Wigan, it makes Newcastle safe. It might make uh, the final day of the season at Newcastle a little bit easier if they're not scrapping against relegation. So uh, there's all kinds of uh, things and knock-on effects. But hopefully Wigan can uh, beat City, come to us, be tired after the cup final, uh, have their eye off the ball a little bit, a bit the way Swansea did it. Uh, after they won the Carling Cup, they went on a, a bad run of form. Wigan can't really afford it, uh, but hopefully uh, we can put them to the sword because our three points are far, far more important than their three points. Uh, we don't have any team news or anything else like that. Um, so hopefully when we're talking this time next week, um, you know, we're still there and we're preparing for Newcastle for the final day of the season. It seems to have flown by, doesn't it, really? So uh, let's keep everything crossed for a good result on Tuesday. Uh, until then... And until next week's Arscast, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Welcome back to Holy God FM. That, of course, was Belinda Carlyle, one of the greatest Christian rock lyricists of our time. It was interesting this week to hear staff of a certain newspaper crowing about how a story about the departure of a football manager garnered more clicks and hits and watsits than the retirement of our Pope Benedict Cumberbatch just a few short weeks ago. We should not be surprised, though, because the staff and the people who read The Guardian are, of course, liberal, godless, happy-to-kiss people of the same-sex heathens who will all burn in hell. A bit like Alex Ferguson, for he did break the Twelfth Commandment, Thou shalt not jemba jemba. And I spoke to God, as I do, every night, and I told him about this story. You should fly down here, God, I said. Fly down and strike upon them a plague, perhaps of locusts or other smaller creatures, if you've deployed the locusts elsewhere. And God did speak back to me. Don't be silly, he said. I haven't flown anywhere since that trip to USA in 94. Oh, 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 God, I said, you're a gas man altogether. Now, taking us up to the news at one o'clock, here's our very own Father Malachi Dwyer with his cover version of Florence and the Machines' Dog Days Are Over. <laughs> 